0: The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook Podcast for the month of September is Zero Mile Mark. Zero Mile Mark is a veteran-owned company that strives to offer high-quality, active, outdoor sports gear. They are on mission to get people outdoors by offering an array of products like tents, backpacks, hammocks, sleeping bags, lighting, and more. All sales have a 30-day warranty and ship via two-day shipping to 97% of the United States. And get this deal. For a limited time only, listeners can head over to ZeroMileMark.com and take advantage of their free tent promotion. Yes, you heard that right. If you'll get online, add any item into the shopping cart that exceeds $30, a tent will appear automatically for $0. It's a free tent, easy checkout, and fast shipping. And guys, I have this tent. I also have a backpack from there and can testify it's great quality. It's a real deal. And Brian, the owner, is a really cool guy. I want you guys to get some stuff, get some products, get this free tent, and get outdoors. Enjoy your life. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at shepherd'scrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Well, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I am excited to interview today a good friend of mine from way back. I think it's been about, what was it, Britt, 15 years ago? Uh yeah, yeah it's been 15 years. Yeah, well, this is Ryan Britt, and he is the executive pastor of Church of 1122 down in Florida. Uh, how you doing down down there, Brett? Yeah, we're do-
1: doing great, man. We're doing great. Just uh, enjoying Florida sunny days, keeping an eye on a hurricane.
0: Yeah. So, what do people call you down there? Is it Ryan, or do they call you Pastor Britt, or what, yep. what do people call you these days?
1: Yeah, Pastor Britt. We have a few Ryans that are pastors on staff, and so we all go by our last name. So, Pastor Britt is. uh the common usage.
0: Okay. Very cool. Well, why don't we pray? And then I'm, I'm looking forward to asking you a bunch of questions here and, and uh, just kind of picking your brain a little bit about life and ministry. And I think we'll have, I think we'll have some fun. Great. Father, we thank you for this time. I just ask that you would give us wisdom as we just uh, think about life and this calling that you've called us to of pastoral ministry. And I thank you for pastor Britt and his influence on my life and all that you did in my life through him. And I'm just thankful. And I just ask that this time you would direct it. And for all the listeners out there, younger guys in particular, uh, God, I pray that you'd help them navigate the questions that they have about life and ministry and all that you're doing in their life. And so use this time uh, to be as profitable as possible. And I trust that you're going to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so for those that, that may not know who you are, Would you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you do?
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on, man. Look forward to uh, digging into it a little bit. Uh, Like you said, I am uh, Ryan Britt. I'm 38 years old, married to Jennifer for 13 years, and uh, I have two beautiful daughters, Anna Catherine, who is nine, and Abigail, who is six. And uh, we've been serving at uh, the Church of 1122 for the last five years. We moved down here in 2014. Uh, before that, I served in uh, Atlanta at a church called 12 Stone Church for about five years. And so, uh, yeah, man, that's the last decade of our life. And so we've been hanging out here at 1122 since uh, 2014. The church started in 2012, and we came on board about 16 16- 17 months into uh, its existence. And so and we've been having a good time. It's going great.
0: Gotcha. And thanks. I mean, if I remember right, things blew up pretty quick for the church. Didn't it? Didn't you come on and live a wave of like thousands of people come to Christ and getting baptized
1: and that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the church was a church launch is a, probably a better way to look at it. than uh, a, um, your normal church plant. Our lead pastor had been serving as a teaching and executive pastor at a church called beach church. And he had been there since the early 2000s and um, and they had started they started a contemporary service for younger adults at this church that he led, and it grew and grew and grew and then the senior pastor of that church came to him and said, "Hey, I think it's time for you to launch out of your launch out your own church." and so they took about a year to get off the ground. And so they had more or less two churches meeting in one location for about a year. And then September of 2012, it launched out as the church of 1122. And so first Sunday they had a ton of momentum going in. And so first Sunday they had about 3000 folks showed up the first weekend. Wow. um, And then it settled in, it settled in about 2,500 and hung out there. And, uh, and so we've been uh, blessed and growing ever since.
0: That's remarkable. That's so different than a typical church plant story or a church, you know, launch story. I mean, plugging along with a core group of 40 for, you know, six years and then God brings growth or he doesn't. But to be a part of that, that's pretty special. Uh, Let's back up a little bit though. Why don't you uh, tell us when you were converted, kind of your story growing up and and when it was you came to Christ. And then uh, if you would lead that into your internal call into ministry. And every person I have on, I ask, you know, what was the internal call to ministry like for you? And then what was that external process like? And for a lot of guys in seminary, they're just kind of navigating through. They may have that lightning bolt experience where they just know that at youth camp in 2000, you know, eight, God specifically, you know, it felt like called me out and said, you are called to be a pastor. And then for others, there's a season of you get what I'm saying where there's, it's, it's sure. a different story, but if you would kind of lay out when you were converted and then that internal and external calling ministry.
1: Yeah. You know, I uh, grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad was an incredibly faithful minister of the gospel served at a local church in Decatur, Georgia, which is just uh, Northeast of Atlanta for 27 years. He served there. And, um, and, uh, and so I grew up in the church, And I grew up in a very evangelistic church and a very uh, healthy church, reaching people, growing, Um, also very focused on personal disciplines and spiritual formation. And and so I was very, very blessed to grow up in the house that I grew up in and the church that I grew up in. Um, And so I was taught the gospel uh, from the time that I was, you know, in my mother's womb, I always make a joke that I was genetically engineered to do what I do. You know, they were shooting me up with Greek and Hebrew in my mother's (laughs) mother's womb, you know? And, um, and so I'm blessed. Uh, I don't, I don't say that with any disdain. I mean, it was just nothing but blessing, you know? And so I remember the first time I responded to a gospel message, I was like six years old Mm. and, um, and I walked the aisle and prayed the prayer and did the whole thing. And that's similar events like that happened throughout the course of youth camps and events and retreats. But I didn't surrender my life into the Lordship of Jesus. I didn't understand Lordship really until I was 15 years old. And, Mm. um, and so I really count that point as surrendering my life to Christ. Um, You know, not to get into the theology of it all as much as just—that's when my heart came alive to the things of God more than just religious duty or religious practice. And um, and so, surrendered my life then and um, really marked with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, for a teenage boy wrestling through all the stuff that teenage boys wrestle through, conviction was very real in my life, and I was very sensitive to it, and and um, and so that's where I would really say that I started following Jesus, and it wasn't shortly thereafter where I surrendered to the ministry. I was probably 16, and because of my dad's opportunities faithfulness and faithfulness in ministry, I got a lot of chances early that not a lot of people get. You know, I was preaching at my high school, and I was preaching in my youth group, and leading Bible studies and getting asked to travel around our community and speak at different youth events as a teenager. And so, um, I started, I started really coming alive to ministry then. And then I never even, it was almost like I didn't even have any other options. I never even really considered anything else. Once my eyes, really the eyes of my heart got set on the ministry. Um, that was it for me. And so I started my first internship. I was, 16 years old in the local church and um i've been working in and around the local church ever since so okay. that's how it happened to me and for me
0: now i met you i think it was you were probably 23 or what was this so in 2005 when you were on staff with student life i think i met you though year before because you were traveling with wade what was wade's name the runner wade that was real Wade preaching. Morris. yeah wade morris yeah and still is, is he still out there preaching he is, man. He's still is doing he? it as far
1: as I know. I catch up with him about once a year, but I think he's uh, he's still out there preaching youth camps and revivals and doing the itinerant thing.
0: Awesome. I remember him. He was talking about a book he wanted to write about youth pastors, and one of the chapters was a uh, Youth Pastor, Why Are You So Fat?
1: <laughs> I don't think he ever wrote that.
0: <laughs> I thought if he ever wrote that book, I'm definitely opening up that chapter and thumbing through that and reading that. Yeah. one. Sure. But uh, I met you, so I met you, I think in 2004 and you were this intimidating dude. I mean, you, you you're just a couple years older than me, but man, I was terrified of you. I was very (laughs) immature. I mean, I mean, I was crazy, man. I mean, just so hyper. And I think as the years go by, I've kind of mellowed out a little bit, but my wife tells me that I'm still, I've still got a hyper streak in me for sure. But, uh, but tell us, so you got all these opportunities early in your twenties, but then you seems like you bounced around a little bit uh, after I had. Worked with you that year. I think you were with student life a couple years, but for your 20s, until you kind of got settled into a position, would you just tell us about the struggles you faced in, your, in ministry in your 20s and kind of the, the bouncing around process, figuring out who you are and who God's called you to be and all that kind of stuff? What were some of the struggles you faced when you were in ministry in your 20s? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. You know, right out of college, when I was in college, I did a lot of itinerant ministry and I served part time as a college minister at a local church that was pastored by a gentleman that my dad led to Christ when he was a teenager. Wow. And and so I got to serve as a college ministry and I was terrible. I mean, if that guy didn't love my dad, he would have never kept me on staff. And, um, you know, I just, uh, was inconsistent and I thought that Mm -hmm. ministry was all about, um, was singularly about preaching sermons. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and, And, um, and so after college, uh, I was doing the itinerant ministry thing. That's how I got to know Wade and some other guys, and they introduced me mm-hmm. to student life. And um, and student life was a great opportunity for me because it got me out of kind of the Atlanta circle, and I moved to Birmingham. Nobody knew who my family was. Nobody knew who I was, and nobody cared. And yeah. and so because um, even when I went to college, my older brother, who is also in ministry, who's now a lead pastor and doing great work at uh, Bethlehem church outside of Athens, Georgia. Um, He was already at the college that I went to. And so I just kind of rode his coattails, you know what I mean? And then I moved to Birmingham and I didn't know anybody. And so I had to kind of make my own way uh, and student life gave me a great opportunity to do that. Plus, I mean, it was a great life. You're traveling all over the country doing (laughs) conferences and camps and tours and um, you know, I'm 23 years old. They hand me 20 college kids and yeah, a bunch crazy? of trucks and a bunch of vans, and they say, hey, go and do ministry. And, yeah. and um, It was nuts, man. Yeah,
0: seriously, and we're driving cross-country in these big Penske trucks as like 21-year-olds having no That's idea. Right.
1: It's just insane. It's crazy. It was, yeah, man. But, man, what a great experience. And um, and so, you know, that that season for me was – really focused on the people that I led with the the staff teams that, that I was given and the youth pastors that I got to know through all the camps and conferences where we got to serve local churches that way. Um, You know, I think the twenties really taught me the, the reality of, of um, I did not embrace it in my twenties. I was very stiff armed it, but looking back um, the reality of the grind you know, just the, the the daily grind of waking up, reading your Bible, um, going to work, having authority in your life, being responsible, making decisions that impact other people, and having to really consider the weight of your decisions—not just your decisions, but your words. Mm-hmm. You know, that your word. The older you get, the more responsibility you get, the more weight your words carry, and the more. Um, responsible you are for the things you say. And, and so those years of student life taught me a lot about that. And, um, you know, but the nature of student life was you travel, you set up a camp, you run a camp, you're with people for four or five days, and then they're gone. And then you move Mm -hmm. on to the next thing. And so it, it wasn't consistent ministry ministering to the same group of people and shepherding the same congregation. It was very, you're moving in and out, moving in and out. And it was awesome and built a great network and you get poured into by some of the best and godliest people in the country for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew for me that wasn't, as I worked through my call, I knew that wasn't my call. You know, my call right. was not in the itinerant world. My call was not, um, traveling and I'm those things are fine. Praise God for them. It just wasn't my call. And, um, and so after a couple of years of doing that, I got married, married Jennifer, and I really started turning my eyes toward the local church and specifically church planting. And um, I had some friends that were working for North Point Ministries out of Atlanta, which is uh, under the umbrella of Andy Stanley's church, right. North Point. And they called me and we began to talk about me at that time. They were running what were called strategic partnerships. They were more or less launching for lack of a better term, franchises of North point all over the country. Okay. And they asked me um, if I would be interested in jumping on board. And at that time I was, I would say I was very much theologically grounding, but I wasn't theologically grounded. You know what I mean? And I wasn't ecclesiologically grounded, any of those things. And so North Point to me at the time, I'm a huge fan still, but North Point to me was um, the big church in Atlanta. And so that's how I knew them. And I had attended many events there growing up. And so I thought this is a great opportunity. And so I jumped on board and Mm -hmm. um, the first church we went to help launch the first partnership church, and the way partnerships worked was um, there was a local group of staff and in a community, and you more or less played Andy Stanley's videos on sermons. That's kind of okay. how it worked. Gotcha. And so they were on the very front edge of like multi-site kind of video delivery churches. Very, They were they were on the front edge of that for sure. So this was 2007, um, 2008. We moved mm-hmm. to Auburn, Alabama to help launch a, a strategic partnership there bought a house at the beginning of 2008, okay. right before the recession hit. Awesome. <laughs> and, um, we planted a church right before the recession hit in a college town. Hmm. And so we were seven months into that church, eight months in and, uh, we were broke. The wow. church was broke. We were broke. Um, we didn't have, we didn't get a paycheck for like six months. Oh my. Um, and the, and, and North Point was a really, was really gracious in their support of these strategic partnerships, but they only had so much to go around. It wasn't like they could just write checks and bail us all out. You know what right. I mean? And so um, it became very, very clear that first stop in Auburn that this was not gonna, this was not gonna work for all of us to stay. And so my wife and I said, you know what, we'll, We'll go somewhere else. Um, everybody else had kids or had deep community roots in Auburn. And so we started talking to other strategic partnerships and we moved from Auburn, we moved from Auburn to Nashville to help another church plant get off the ground okay. in Nashville. And so our first one, Auburn, it didn't take, it actually ended up closing up shop. That church plant, it right. failed and, and didn't, uh, didn't live on. We moved to Nashville. And, um, we worked at a church called Cumberland church in Nashville and it was going pretty good. So we moved there at the end of 2008, uh, the fall of 2008, we moved there in 2009, you know, people were getting baptized, groups were taking off, attendance was going, you know, it was growing and, uh, we had two services going at the time.
0: I think that's when I had you come up and preach for me. Not to get behind Uh, it.
1: I was. Yeah, that's right. When you were, you had planted the other church that was meeting in the uh, community center. yeah. And uh, that's right. And so we were in Nashville and it was going okay. And uh, really enjoyed the men that I was serving with and the team I was serving with. But there was a lot of... Man, there's a lot of bumps in the road, let's just say, in in the system uh, between of how these churches were working. Um, And uh, the lead pastor, uh, more or less, he got into some conflict with the leaders out of Atlanta, out of the North Point system in Atlanta and um they let him go and so we were seven months into that church plant and he was let go and it became really really clear that we couldn't stay in nashville either and right. um that that church was not gonna stay healthy or sustain. and so we um at that time did not know what to do and just had just found out that my wife was pregnant with our first daughter and um and so we just started praying and At that time my older brother was serving at Twelve Stone Church in Atlanta. And Twelve Stone was really starting to grow and take off. And honestly, after being in two church plants, um, you know, both with some really good things going, but honestly it was just a struggle, you know. Mm -hmm. We we retired and I was young, I was still in my twenties, and you know, I was wrought with angst and frustration and A lot of that was self imposed, you know, when you're in your twenties you think you got it all figured out and you think your (laughs) ideas are the best idea. At least I did. I thought my ideas were the best ideas and seemingly every idea I had wasn't working. And so I was confronted with failure, you know, on top of things actually not going good. It wasn't like I was in this big safe system where all the a very established world could just bail me out of my, you know, arrogance, if you will. I just we were struggling, you know, and by God's grace, um, by God's grace, my brother calls me one day and says, Hey, we're hiring, um, 12 stone. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, sir, I would. And so that's great. In short order, we packed up from Nashville and, um, we January of 2010, we started full time at Twelve Stone Church in Atlanta, and honestly, it was a godsend. You know, I I, I didn't know any of these folks; I'd never um, never heard of them really. Um, but some good friends were there, um, serving at the time. My brother was there, and Twelve Stone was a real season of healing for me. Okay, it grounded me in local church ministry. Uh, Twelve Stone. They are radically committed to spiritual intensity, uh, very, very focused on prayer and cultivating intimacy with God and hearing God's voice and not just um, not just the mechanics of ministry but really the the spiritual side of walking with God and being a people um, surrendered to God and so to sit under these men of prayer was a real like season of healing for me. And even in 12 stone, I brought in a ton of my own baggage, which was, you know, um, again, you know, you just think you know how to do it and you've got good ideas and you need to be heard. And I realized I was about, I was about a year at 12 after a year at 12 stone, 12 stone's a large church, multi-site, lots of campuses. Um, and I was there for about a year and I, and I sat back one day and I was like, I don't know that anybody even knows I'm here. Like, like there's a ton of staff, nobody was sitting around going, you know, you know, Oh, Ryan Britt's here or whatever. Nobody cared. Right. You know what I mean? I was just, they cared about me, but they didn't care about necessarily my, you know, my opinions or whatever. I had not earned the right to, to say and to be heard, you know? Right. And, um, and so I really learned there the value of of building volunteer teams and loving lay people and equipping the saints for the works of ministry. And that my job was not to be out in the front, you know, preaching all the sermons or leading and rallying the troops. My job was to be washing feet. My job was to be listening with ears to hear. My job was to help people step into life giving points of service in the local church and to, and to use the gifts and the talents that God had given them to, to do ministry. And so, yeah. um, 12 stone, man, they, they were, they were great at putting us in a, in a position whereby we had to take ourselves out of the center of the narrative so that Jesus could be in the middle of the narrative and that the saints of the local church could be active in that ministry. And, um, man, it was great. And so, right. Uh, I was there for years and after about a year serving there they I I was able to step into the director of missions which is uh, was an incredible blessing and so I spent the next three years traveling all over the world helping 12 stones partners get established and so I was traveling overseas 12 to 15 days a month like seven eight months a year I went all over the world and um, and so I got to see cross-cultural ministry got to better understand community development, really got to understand church planting um, because we worked with a lot of church planters in a global context and um, really, really got my head around um, what it took for a group of people to sit and to pray and to trust God and to launch a church in a community. And most of the communities where we worked in were impoverished communities. And so man, the, the sharpening of the tools in the tool bag during that season was unbelievable. You know, just, um, understand, trying to really get your head around poverty and, um, brokenness in a different level and a different than things that just look different than anything I had ever seen in my world, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and also just seeing the miracles, you know, and what God was doing all over the world. And so, um, that was a real season of building and growing and stretching and learning that, man, if I learned anything at 12 stone, it was that what I was a part of was way more important than the part I played.
0: That's good.
1: And that, that lesson has stuck with me throughout the years. And we try to teach our staff that now, you know, is okay. that what we're a part of is way more important than the part you play. If you get focused on your little part, which is, it's important for sure. But if you get so focused on the part or the role you play, you will miss out on the the bigger story that God's telling and the bigger thing that God's doing. And, um, and so that was 12 stone for me anyway. Yeah, that's good. Now that's a lot, but that was the, uh, that was 2007 to 2014.
0: That's good, man. That's good. Now, if you, there's a big assumption that has to take place for this to this question to actually work. But if you would, at, in your early 20s, listen to yourself now if you could go back and talk to yourself. What, what's like the big idea of, of what you would counsel yourself with, saying, hey, be prepared, this is coming. Uh, if, if you could give yourself counsel in your early 20s to prepare yourself for your thir- for the rest of your 20s, what would you say? Or would you say anything? Would you even just say, hey, man, go along for the ride, God's got gotcha. you, you'll learn the lessons you need to learn?
1: I would say two things. One is you need to spend all of your personal time, deep diving into the gospel. Hmm. And and honestly, for all the people that have poured into my life, I don't think I understood. I don't think I heard the words imputed righteousness until I was 30. Wow. And that's not a knock on anybody. I just didn't know. And so I only knew half the gospel Hmm. and I'm doing ministry. I knew that we were sinners saved by grace. That's what I knew. but i did not understand that we are co-heirs with the king i did not understand that we had been adopted into sonship i did not understand that the true nature of imputed righteousness that god had credited to me Mm -hmm. all of the things um, that he has credited to jesus all that jesus earned god has credited that to me and not having that as a base of identity and not having, not doing ministry from that place, man, it is, it is very hard without that to do ministry with joy. Yeah, It is very hard without that to do ministry with peace in your life, with, with confidence that um, God does have this, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's you, you get trapped in the cycles of, the approval of man and the approval of self and trying to merit your worth through your actions and through your intelligence and through your knowledge and your experiences. And you're trying to earn that approval and trying to ground in that identity, but you just, it'll never take. Yeah. Um, and, And so you spend a lot of time on the hamster wheel of self just running around. What's wrong with me? I got this. What's wrong with me? I got this. What's wrong with me? I got this. And you're just Mm -hmm. doing laps around this cul-de-sac, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I would say the guys in their twenties, like do not assume that you have dug deep enough into the diamond that is the gospel Mm -hmm. Um, dig as deep as you can, because that is the foundation by which all healthy ministry will be done for the rest of your, the rest of your time, which hopefully will be long and fruitful. So that's to be the first thing. And the second thing is um, really trying to work on having listening to hear versus listening to respond. Mm, yeah. You know, when I was in my twenties, I'm listening. I was passionate, passionate about a lot of the right things and good things. For sure. I was very passionate, but in, in a team meeting or in a uh, time ministering with somebody in our church or ministering to a family or, um, whatever the context was, I would very much be listening, just waiting on my turn to talk Mm -hmm. versus listening to really understand what was going on in the hearts of people and listening, trying to understand and empathize and to ask the question, man, what is it like to be you and then have ears to actually hear what's it like to be them. Um, Man, I missed out uh, on a lot of really good heart level ministry Um, because I was very, very focused just on, um, saying the right thing Mm -hmm. and getting on to the next thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, deep dive into the gospel and then having ears to hear versus here listening just to respond. Those would be two things I'd offer people in their twenties for sure.
0: That's good. That's really good. So helpful. I'm going to put those two things specifically in the show notes because I think those are really applicable to a lot of people listening. Really helpful for me. You know, I remember the imputed righteousness. It really, it was kind of like the gateway drug into the wonder that is grace. You know, you, you kind of step into that, and, you're just, and then you know, listening to uh, to grow or not just to respond. Man, that's been the story of so much of my life. Is I've I've got wisdom. I need to be heard. I'm the one who can see this in the right angle or the, the most biblical manner. And you know, I really will bring some biblical clarity here. So let me speak into this. And, and that's mm. just that's such a helpful. Uh, way to phrase that to get people thinking. And that's, it's it's just so good. So now you've talked a lot about being in the trenches with people or shepherding or caring people. And that the caricature of the executive pastor is the, is the kind of guy that gets stuff done. And, and from, from when I know you, if you're similar today is when I knew you, you're kind of a guy that gets stuff done, put your head down, square up your shoulders, get to work, get it done. And, uh, you know, a lot of executives get that pastors, get that rep, you know, and there are very few, who actually care for the people. Well, that again, that's the caricature, but it seems like you've, you've had training ground where God has brought you through like, Hey, we're, we're in this because we want to see people uh, changed by the power of the gospel, people walking and, and worshiping God. And we want, we want to be people who pastors who care for people who actually shepherd the flock of God that's among us. And so um, how do you maintain a pastor's heart when you've got so much stuff to get done? You've got access to, X's and O's, I's to dot, T's to cross, stuff to get done. How do you do all that and not miss the people that God has given you to care?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the two things. One, in the culture at Church of 1122, it would not allow for me to only focus on getting things done very long. Um, we, are, we are very focused on, the 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 priestly ministry even with our staff and um you know our key leaders and key volunteers and key influencers i spend a lot of time with those folks for sure um um, but it's very much priestly work it's not just organizational work or organizational leadership that's definitely a part of it it would be i mean you know having the gift of leadership is just what, what it is, you know, you just get the opportunities to lead stuff. And what I, what I tell our team all the time is, and I preach this to myself is that I have a job. It is my choice on whether I'm going to do ministry in my job every day or not, because I can just wake up and do a job. I can go to meetings. I can reply to emails. I can balance budgets. I can, help plan strategic growth strategies and talk about where do we feel like God's leading us next and all that stuff. For sure we can do all that stuff inside of all of those things. There are the choices in how we treat people. There's the choices in, are we going to keep this thing laser focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ Um, all the way down to how we start meetings and how we end meetings, how much of my calendar goes to, ministering alongside of our congregation, how much of our, how much of my time goes to doing priestly work, funerals and weddings and counseling. Um, you know, and so my job is actually the executive pastor of ministries. We have an operations director. We have a okay. CF we have a CFO Okay. Um, and they're very, they're very brilliant. They're very good at their jobs. And so it actually affords me a ton of opportunity, to do the work of the ministry. And, um, and so in our culture, I I wouldn't, my job is to very much underneath the authority and leadership of pastor Joby, our lead pastor is to be the, um, the lead ministry foot is to set the example in ministry is to be Mm. the lead, um, to the lead culture carrier, you know? And so if that stuff gets out of whack for me, then it's just a domino that, Will, will trickle and it, and it, and it very easily could, you know, we're all in the world we live in prone to getting busy and just yeah. being busy for busy sake. And, um, but we really fight hard against that. And, um, and so I think for me, it's just about intentionality. You know, it's, it's practically, it's looking at my calendar the night before and saying, okay, I'm meeting with these people tomorrow. God, God, will you, give me grace in this conversation? Will you give me discernment? Will you help me um, to be your mouthpiece or will you just help me to be your ears? It's just the intentionality of, you know, I want to do ministry, not just do a job. And and so um, that's a lot of it, you know, and then just prioritizing my time accordingly. Yeah. And if I don't put priestly ministry on my calendar, then you know, I could go weeks and weeks and weeks without sitting with somebody and yeah. rejoicing with somebody who's rejoicing or weeping with somebody who's weeping. And, you know, I, that's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to go to just, you know, have campus planning meetings or, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's all good, but that's not what I, that's not what God called me to. And yeah. so, um, I can, you can, you can run real dry if you don't stay focused on the things God called you to.
0: Yeah. That's good. And I think with the the busy work that's available for all of our lives, not just in pastoral ministry, but in fact, actually, Eugene Peterson wrote a really provocative chapter in The uh, the Contemplative Pastor. It was called The Unbusy Pastor or something like that. And he has a line in there. He talks about he says that the busy pastor is the lazy pastor. And the reason is because he lets everybody else dictate his schedule and he doesn't take control mm. and schedule what is what is prescribed in the Bible for me to be and do as a pastor. And I think calendaring is so huge for me, having a calendar in 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 my breast pocket and being able to pull an actual physical calendar out and putting things down has been really transformative to me. And, uh, if not, you're absolutely right. Busy work and just meetings and the, the, again, not that those things are unimportant, but there's just so many things that can just actually push out sitting down and discipling somebody and sitting down and, and being at the hospital and weeping with somebody, as you say. Now, I'm assuming on your calendar is the most important priority, you know, First Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, that if we can't manage our own home, we have no business being a pastor of the household of God. And so for you, the priority we've all experienced, I think you've probably seen this, especially not, hopefully it doesn't sound like your father was this way, but the the typical baby boomer pastor is the pastor who is available and ready to go for everybody except his family. Mm-hmm. And so he's working 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week and has a, a couple days vacation with his family a year. That's about it. And all his family have earned the, you know, his kids earned the reputation PK for a reason, a bad reason. So how how do you – maintain a proper priority of, of manage your own, manage your own household. Well, so you've been married to Jennifer 13 years. How many kids you have? You said two girls, two girls. Okay. So you got a house full of ladies, man. That's right. Yeah. Uh, how do you maintain proper, uh, you know, balance between making your family a priority and then not flipping the other way where you're always with your family and you're never actually getting the things done it was in pastoral ministry that you need to get done. How, how do you walk that line?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it helps to like, really like your family. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I genuinely enjoy spending time with my family and, um, the way I'm wired, um, my, my mind is very much out in the future. And so I could be sitting having a conversation with you and in my, and we're talking, but in my mind, I'm two years down the road or I'm in a completely different place Mm -hmm. and, and living with three women, um, the Lord has used them and is using them to sanctify, um, the ministry of just being present when you're present Mm. and not being distracted all the time. And, um, and I got a long way to go. There's no doubt about it, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of room for, um, if I want to be any good at being a dad and being a husband, for mm-hmm. me to um, put any kind of, I don't get to cop out and say, well, that's just my personality. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, it makes it. I have to really do the intentional work of, of being here. And so that, you know, that that's the, the underlying thing that I'm always battling against is the, just the mental distraction and in my mind being in a place and my body being in a different place. And okay. we got a lot going on at church I and mean, we got a yeah. ton going on and it's, it's good. And God's in it. And, and, um, but, um, my family is obviously first. I I don't have any like type dreams of writing a bestseller or (laughs) being the lead pastor of a mega church. Or, um, I feel like God has completely called me to the ministry of obscurity, you know? And, and there's a lot of freedom in that because uh, I don't, I'm not chasing a thing. There's nothing in my life that I want that I don't already have. Nothing. That's awesome. And because of that, I can really say, what are the most important things? And when Jen and I decided to have kids, we just said, we made a decision that we are going to be good parents and we are going to define what being good parents means for ourselves. And so we did. And so for me, um, I I I have made commitments that I will never miss dinner time and bedtime more than two nights a week, and I fight hard not to miss it more than one time a week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and dinner time at the Brit House because my kids are smaller is early. It's like five fifteen in the afternoon, five thirty we're eating dinner.
0: Yeah. And
1: so everybody knows that I work with my, my assistant. She knows you don't schedule stuff after four thirty. Um, everybody knows that if we're in a meeting and it's going long and we're pushing up near five o'clock, I'm just going to get up and walk out. And, <laughs> great, and because I'm going home. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and I've lived by that, you know, for years and years and years, and it served us well. Um, you know, I think that uh, I don't I don't buy into the myth of balance, but I do believe in rhythms. Okay. I, I believe in plan, planning your rhythms. You know, we have some busy seasons, like Easter comes every year, and yeah. Easter's going to be a bajillion services, and Easter's going to have lots and lots of energy around it. August and September. They come every year. School goes back in. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of events. We have a lot of things pulling on us. And so I have to have the wherewithal to look down the scope of my calendar and say, okay, in light of being incredibly busy, how am I going to build family rhythms into that? That's extra days off. That's not working on Fridays. That's making sure that we're taking trips, you know, and so there's just a lot of rhythm to it. You know, there's yeah. in ministry at least in our world there's like really really busy seasons and then there's the more like consistent just seasons where there's not as much church activity going on there's never right. an end to the amount of ministry we can give ourselves to but the calendar definitely dictates the amount of activity that that fills up our time that's kind of, that's all, it's a little more professionally for lack of a better term non-negotiable Does that right. there's just things i have to be at things i have to be present for Um, and I want to, and, and so rhythm is a huge part of it. The consistent thing is be home for dinner, be home for bath time, be active in bedtime, hanging out. Mm -hmm. Don't fill up all my weekends. You know, um, I try not to have any, I try not to have any more than one weekend a month where I'm, um, leading a retreat or leading a conference or I'm out on a mission trip. Um, and so I try to really just balance those rhythms um, I try to maximize vacations when we go on trips. Like, we took a trip to Montana this summer as a family. Um, and it's pretty much phone off. We're into it. We're having a good time. So, you it's wear nothing a
0: cowboy
1: hat? Do, no, but we did go horseback riding. Okay. And, uh, there you go. We, we went horseback riding up a mountain in Montana, which is pretty epic. And, nice. um, yeah. So, I mean, nothing, there's nothing brain busting about it. And I think that's the reason reality of leading in the local church is mm-hmm. that uh, the tips and the, the, whether it's Eugene Peterson or John Ortberg or um, Pete Scazzaro or whoever, there's a ton of resources out there that say this is healthy. Yeah. The question is, will you choose it? Yeah, that's good. Will you, will you choose healthy? There's a roadmap to healthy men have gone before us and they have laid the foundation. Um, there is a rhythm to healthy family. And, and, um, you just got to choose it and not let, um, you know, not let other things make you slave to their agendas as much as just saying these are non-negotiables. I call them resolutions. You know, it's uh, Jonathan Edwards, hundred resolutions, you know, and that's where I got it. That resolve is making decisions that are going to make all your other decisions. Mm-hmm. So we made a decision. We're going to be good parents. We define good parents by time. Mm-hmm. quality time, intentional time. And so we fight hard to keep that decision has made all these other decisions. So there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that have come good things yeah. that I've said no to over the years, because I already made a decision that said, I'm not doing that thing. Cause I said, I'm going to be home. You know what I mean? And that's great. So that's great. That's it. Yeah.
0: All right. One last one. I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak to the grace of God. It sounds like there was a pretty defining season when you're around 30 years old, but Final question. Why do you love Jesus so much?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, um, sometimes I feel like I am in this perpetual state of learning who Jesus is for the first time over and over and over again, you know? And, um, the, the thing that's really been on me lately, Uh, the fresh word, if you will, the the fresh truth that Jesus has shown me about himself is, you know, uh, Romans two four says that it is God's kindness to us that leads us to repentance. Hmm. And I would say for many years, I would have thought it was the knowledge of God or the omnipotence of God or the judgment of God or the vengeance of God or God's holy wrath or his holiness or, God's sovereignty led us to repentance. And I know ultimately it does, but Romans two four says all of those things are true about God. They're reflected in his nature. They're reflected in his character. And yet while all of those things are true, he has shown on me kindness. That's and it awesome. is that, and it is that, that extension of kindness, that act of kindness that leads me to repentance. And um, I've, Going back to imputed righteousness, one of the things I I just preached on it this past weekend, and it's just so fresh in in my my heart, is Jesus, you know, John 1, 1, he's the Logos. He is the spoken word, the revealed word of God, and that he is God's voice to us. But he's not just God's voice to us, but he is also God's tone of voice toward us. Yeah. So when you ever think about what does God sound like, what is God's posture toward me Mm -hmm. for many years, subconsciously, I would have believed that God's posture toward me was, yes, he loved me, but he was pretty frustrated with me because I'm just frustrated. Mm -hmm. And that he was snapping at me like a dad who's being impatient with his kid trying to get out of the house, you know? And that's how I kind of believed God was toward me. And that, that. Um, false narrative has been completely peeled back layer by layer to where I realize now that Jesus is God's posture toward me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and that his tone of voice toward me is kindness. And, and so man, I, that, that is the fresh thing on me right now. Why, why do I love Jesus? Well, obviously because he, Lived the life I could never live, died my death in my place, and then rose again three days later, and then gave me all the victory that He won, yeah, by yeah. giving me faith to believe it. Of course, um, but the practical way that that weighs on me every day is: it is just God's kindness, unending. He is never, he. Pastor Joby says this all the time: that God can't be. Dissatisfied in me because he will never be dissatisfied in Jesus, mm, yeah. and so he is completely and totally satisfied in the work of Christ. Therefore, he is completely and totally satisfied in me because he has hidden me in Christ. Yeah, and awesome. uh, that that to me is um, that's the last year, probably last six months of just following Jesus and. Um, couple of great resources. I don't know if you've ever read Soul Keeping by John Ortberg.
0: I have. I actually, read that last uh, last year, the year before, I think.
1: Man, it's great. Yeah. Emotionally healthy leader by Sciasaro. A lot of that stuff stuff that I've just been working in, and that soul work of being a son mm-hmm. first before you're a leader, before you're a pastor, before you're whatever that you're just yeah. a son. And um, so that's yeah. um, that's my answer.
0: Awesome. Well, man, Britt, I appreciate your time today, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, and uh, for everybody listening, thanks for listening in. But, yeah, Ryan, appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks, bro. Thanks for what you're doing here, man. I mean, there's not enough pastors. is a, It's a lonely road. And so yeah. that you would carve the time out to try to walk alongside guys means a lot. So I appreciate you inviting me in. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hey. God bless you, buddy.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.